Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. How are you going today? Good, thanks. How are you, Robbie? I'm doing fantastic. I was going to make up some word like phantasmagorical or Ooh. awesome sauce or awesome, something. You know, awesomelicious. 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 Oh, that's good. That's good. I like. I I love that you're doing well. I love that I'm doing well. Did I ask you how you were doing? I did. Yeah, did. You did yeah. Okay. You did. You ever have actually that that just reminds me this is a to, this is a totally off subject like a, thing okay. but have you ever had those conversations where you're where you're walking down say the road the sidewalk the shopping mall whatever maybe you're not doing that as much oh no well well some people are able to get out and do that a bit more now so that's exciting but um where you're walking down the road and you're like you're like g'day how you going and then they say yeah I'm good thanks how are you and you're like yeah I'm good how are you and you go, and you realize that you've just you've trained just... yourself so much to say, "I'm good," how are, or "Good thanks," yeah. or "Yes, I'm all right." You know, whatever it is, that, and then you it's follow it up by yeah. that you don't even you don't even think about your answer. You've just said, "Good thanks," you, and that's like the natural response. And it kind of implies you. I've had this re- happen to me recently a number of times. Like often, I go for a morning walk, not far from my house, and I go do like this close to a five k loop. When I get enough time, I do the five case and you, you, you pass all of these people and some of the people are really friendly and some of them aren't. Yeah. And, um, the people that aren't particularly the ones that I seem to be like, ah, Hey, how you going? Good. Thanks. You. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? And then you walk past and you're like, that was really dumb. <laughs> so if you can relate Whoops. to that, please text in to 0491-064-669 so that I can uh, hear your stories of commiseration. Anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today. We We're do. excited for the show today. We're continuing our journey through John. And what chapter are we up to today, Tash? Pop quiz. Number four. Chapter four. Yeah. And um, in chapter four, we're going to be learning about a woman who meets Jesus at a well and also the second sign, sign. in the book of John, mm. which I didn't yes. realize was in this chapter until I did some study and I realized, man, it is. So that's exciting. We've got that lined up for you today. We've also got our lovely friend, Erin Keegan, who just got married a couple of months ago, a few months ago now, yeah. who she's going to be on for our testify segment. I have no idea if her story relates to that, but who knows? Maybe it does. Um, well, we're excited to have her on air, and we're going to just, yeah, we're going to have a great time. We're going to hear some fun facts about the weird and wonderful world that we're living in. I'm always excited about oh, that. Yeah. And I don't know if, if, you're, if you're like, uh, well, well, I don't know what I was going to say. Don't worry about what I was going to say. What I was going to say <laughs> now is it's raining. It's about to start raining where we are. So uh, pop quiz is uh, petrichor. What does petrichor mean? Boom. Ooh. It's the smell that comes before rain. So anyway, stick oh. around. We've got a great show lined up for you. We're going to have the code word for you. Stick around. When you hear that code word, you're going to have an opportunity to call in and receive a free copy of something that we'll tell you about after our next break. This is Summerbrook and Mountain Faith. It could happen in a moment. happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye it could happen in a moment he could split the eastern sky though our hearts will feel unworthy yet how happy we will be when the savior comes from See, I am listening every moment. 
tolling will be over. Listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and uh, if you heard that little blooper, that was your treat and my mistake. This is uh, that was sorry, Summerbrook and Mountain <laughs> Faith, and the song was called "It Could Happen in a Moment." Um, it's raining where we are. It's just started to come down. We had to close the window because it's hot in here, but. You know, you don't want thunder interrupting the radio broadcast. That's true. So <laughs> we'll see how we go. I tried to close the window, but if you heard the little sweet gym there, I didn't quite get it closed enough. So anyway, <laughs> we um we don't have the giveaway just yet for you, but we wanted to encourage you that anytime during this show you can call or text in with your questions because at the end of the show we have a portion called Question of the Week, and it is our great hearts our heart's great desire to hear from you about questions that you have about the Bible, about God, about spirituality. Etc. And you can call in at any time or text into 0491-064-669. That number again is 0491-064-669 to get those questions in at any time in the show. And we'd love to address those at the end of the show during our question of the week segment. And without any further ado, it is actually time right now to find out a little bit more about the weird and wonderful world that God has made. So what do you have for us today, Tash? Okay, so 
on my way here, I have three different ways that I can take to get here. And weirdly, the way that I use actually uses it's in terms of distance, it's longer, mm. which is everyone would think is strange. But if you think about because I come on the freeway, there's the but freeway, it's faster, though. but it's actually faster. Yeah. Yeah. And so it got me thinking about there actually isn't a lot of traffic where I live. But I remember I used to sit when I used to live in Melbourne, I used to sit through traffic jams. Yep. And, if and I they were, have those funny turns. What do they call them? The, hook turns. That's the one. Yeah. So oh, you're man. not allowed to bo- block trams in Melbourne's CBD. So that's why they have hook turns. Whew. Yeah. If you've never driven in Melbourne, it's actually it's, it's, it's a good. little bit different than sense. elsewhere. No, it does. <laughs> but it takes getting used to. It does take some like, getting like used any to. new thing. Any new traffic law takes getting used to. Yeah, definitely. And Melbourne has a lot of them. But <laughs> they we do. love you, Melbourne. We still love At least you, Melbourne. The people. We love the people we, of Melbourne. Lo- I don't know. I, I still love Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> and the people. The food's good. There's and great music. Great music, great food. Culture. Yes. Lots of culture. Culture. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Okay. So here's me sitting in a traffic jam. If I was if, if the if I was sitting in a traffic jam with either my brother or my mum, they have this thing where they hate waiting at traffic lights. Doesn't everybody have that thing? Oh, but like they could see ahead. You know when you can see ahead? That's one of those things that, that we like still need sanctification in. Oh, but my brother, I think my brother got it from my mom, but they would find the quickest, the shortcuts. Yeah. They'd take the side street, turn another side street, down another alleyway, down another side street, over a million humps. And I used to wonder, like, did we actually get there faster? Probably not, but you feel better because you're moving. That is... Wow, you know what's funny? This, is that what it says? Yeah. It actually, oh, yes. It's so strange. You know, I, I can relate to that. And the reason I can relate to that is because I grew up in Southern California. And if you think traffic in Australia is bad, bum, bum, imagine if your freeways were twice as large and the traffic was at least as bad Ugh. and for twice as long. Yeah. Like I grew up in a, in a place that, and the traffic's worse now than it used to be. Yeah. So, you know, you've, you've got like I'm driving through into Sydney and it, you get to this point where you're like, oh, three lanes. Woo. But we're talking like five, six lanes wow. on each side wow you know, and, and we've still got traffic that goes on bumper to bumper every day during peak hour it's crazy oh. and it's a funny thing with traffic because it's actually kind of like a fluid it's actually some <laughs> yeah this <laughs> scientists have explained it as a gas so it's That's kind a of gas. as it because Is that you can't because it's stop, cars well because it kind of <laughs> they, and run they run on, on gas petrol and then they move because it, even if you have a traffic jam they'll still find a way to move Oh, okay. I see. So, like, kind of like water will it'll water block will up, just, and then it'll find another yeah, little. And it just finds another, another way. It'll find places where gravity will allow it to continue to yeah, flow. Yeah. So, okay, I can yeah. see that. It it's, spills over, so to it speak. It spills over. It doesn't make the traffic faster, but it spills over into other like routes and other. Well, it routes. can't be making it slower because they're not on the same road. So surely it's helping a little bit. It does help a little bit unless it has to come back add, to the same point because they all add. Yeah, everyone's adding at the same time. It's really strange, but yeah, they said it's Well, tell us more about traffic. Well, I'm not talking about traffic. I'm talking about shortcuts. (laughs) Oh, shortcuts. There aren't any. Well, if you... This is is a weird thing you can do. You can put your um, GPS, man, on bike or walk. And if you follow some of the routes, obviously some of them are going to be... um, Places where your car can't go. Yeah, places where your car can't go. But it actually can give you, like, alternative... Like alternative routes, really? Yeah, maybe the push bike would be more successful. Maybe than the, the push than the bike walking, is more I think. successful. There's a lot of places you can walk where you can <laughs> definitely not fit a car yeah. legally, at least. Yeah, le- yeah definitely. <laughs> and one way streets and those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. But as you were saying before, people actually feel better when they're on the shortcut. 
Yeah, isn't yeah. that interesting? It's really interesting. And Even though they often take longer, oh, often yeah. the GPS has the wrong spot, and you actually have to turn around <laughs> and do a U-turn. Please, you tur- turn around at the next possible place. Yeah, and you yeah. think, yeah. <laughs> and you think you're saving on petrol, but you're actually using more petrol. And even if you take away that uses private property or like, uh, there's a, like a, a service station there and you take the, you know, the quick little into the service station and then out on the other side instead of waiting at the traffic lights. It actually, in the end, will only save you about 30 seconds. You know, this reminds me of something. It's, I think, a challenge for all of us. And yeah. that's this. Shortcuts might feel good. It might feel good like because you, you think you're moving. Yeah. But ultimately, those who wait on the Lord are the ones who will be blessed. So be patient Amen. and don't take shortcuts with God. Because it doesn't this- work out anyway.
the unseen world above We're surrounded by His love to Real Faith with Robbie and Tasha, and this is Faith of Boom. And now it's time for our Testify segment. Now, in this Testify segment, we're, it's a time where we get to hear from real people, their journeys in life and with God. And sometimes it's an answer to prayer, it's a God moment or part of the testimony, but through our guest, uh, we get to hear about what God is doing in their lives. And so today our guest is Erin Keegan. Hello. 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 I'm good. How are you? Doing really well, thank you. Oh, that's so good. We're so glad to have you today. Um, do you want to just tell our listeners um, your name and just a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hi, everyone uh, from wherever you're tuning in. My name is Erin Keegan, and I am a cancer nurse by trade, and I'm currently nursing at Avondale University, um, lecturing at Avondale University and helping train that next generation come through. Oh, that's so cool. And um, I also get to go to Avondale University too. So I, I see you around sometimes and uh, we're yeah. good old friends. And we, I just want to thank you again for coming on the show and making some time for us. And um, I'll just give it over right to you on. now. Just tell us your, yeah, tell us your story. Yeah, thanks, Tash. Um, it's just, it's a real privilege to be able to share um, some of the God moments, I guess, that have unfolded in our lives. And I say ours in my husband and I's life in the last couple of months. Um, we got married just a few months ago, right in the midst of the COVID outbreak. Um, but I want to share with you a miracle that wasn't uh, the fact that just three hours after our 150 guest reception finished, that you could no longer have weddings. Although that was definitely a miracle. Um, and it wasn't the fact that my brother and some of the bridesmaids and some of the groomsmen who haven't been to church in years, maybe even decades, participated in and even led some of the many prayers that we had over the wedding weekend, although that was a miracle in and of itself. Um, it wasn't that every accommodation booking we made for our interstate honeymoon was fully refunded as we rapidly replanned a, uh, a spectacular local honeymoon, mm. even when all of those Airbnb places said no refunds, although that was a financial miracle in and of itself. And, um, you know, it wasn't even the fact that our hair and makeup artists said um, when they found out that myself and, and the bridesmaids were Christians, that um, as we were getting ready, they just made the comment, we knew there was something different about this wedding. Um, although the fact that God can totally use a wedding to point people back to Him as the creator and sustainer of love um, in its most beautiful and powerful form, it's magnificent. 
Um, but that's the miracle that I just want to speak to this afternoon is that God found me, my man, um, a man that I can look to for wisdom, uh, for friendship and for laughter and for support. And a man whose heart is deeply rooted in chasing God instead of chasing a wife. Um, that happened as a result of his pursuit of God. And um, a man who strives to obey the truth um, instructed in the Bible and follow God's will for our lives. And he prays like this. This is a man I could follow. Um, I have miraculously been partnered with a man who has adopted my family as his own um, and pushes me to do more of the things I love and that I'm good at. This is a man who um, stood by really tough boundaries in our courtship that protects, protected my heart and his heart against being hurt. Um, and instead of those boundaries sucking the fun out of our courtship, it totally amplified it instead with joy and safety and anticipation and clarity and progress. This was a man who had the courage to ask my dad for his daughter's hand in marriage. And because of his integrity, character and pure love for me, um, was entrusted wholeheartedly with that commitment as our two lives formed a new family. So the miracle that I want to share this afternoon is that God can be trusted that because he made you with all your passions and spiritual gifts, that he actually knows best who to match you with. And that that person will only ever, as Ellen White writes in Letters to Young Lovers, lead you heavenward. That's the miracle. I totally used to think that if I left choosing my life partner up to God, he would deliberately match me with a dud. Like someone who is socially awkward and ugly and broke and just yeah. like just to spite me and teach me a lesson. But what I learned is that that was Satan's first lie that he told back in the book of Genesis. Um, but you and I, like we have a promise to claim in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and that is that God's plans for us are not just for good, but for awesome. And so like in John 10, 10, where it says the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, I have come so that they can have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. So an abundant, free, baggage, reduced life is found not in the ways of this world, but in Jesus Christ. So the miracle that I want to share this afternoon is that on the 27th of June, 2021, I got to wear a white dress for all that it represents and be walked down the aisle by my dad to the man I'm crazily blessed to now call my husband. So may you and I, listeners, let go of trying to do things our own way and trust that God really is as good as he says he is. And I just want to finish um, with a quote by Ellen White, which says, we have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us in the past. Oh, Aaron, what a beautiful testimony. And that when God gives, when Jesus gives, he gives in abundance. I just want to thank you today for your testimony and for our listeners to know that God's plans are good for them. This and the puzzle.
Run of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show. You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. And uh, uh, late and breaking news in Newcastle, if you're listening to this live, was that we just had probably the, the, the heaviest hailstorm I've seen since the one that happened in the Central Coast a few years ago that rode off like the thousand cars. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, it was size, pretty, of, uh, size of pretty, yeah, size of rocks. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty good. That's a very, uh, rocks come in lots of different sizes. That was nice and nondescript. So you can imagine how big or how small that was. Bigger than marbles, most of them. Bigger than marbles, perhaps. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to get into our Bible study here in a moment. But before we do that, we wanted to encourage you to um, send in your questions for us for question of the week. And also, 
hang out for that code word. So today we're going to have a code word at some point during the show that's going to be spoken. And when you hear that code word, you can call or text 0491-064-669. That number again is 0491-064-669. And today, the first, the third, and the fifth caller in today who has that code word is going to receive a free copy of... Your future is safe with God. So it's help in daily living. It's a book by Ellen G. White, and um, yes, it is. Awesome. I, I need to say more. I know I'm supposed to say more. Well, anyway. we're going to tell you more in the next time we tell you about it. So don't worry. We'll tell you a little bit more. But looking for help from God for your future and planning and thinking about the future, and that's an exciting thing. So it's going to be a great a great book. So the first, third, and fifth caller who call in, when you hear the code word, and we're not telling you what it is just yet, but we will at some point during the show, shout out the code word. And uh, don't worry, it will not be styrofoam today. It will not be something as difficult <laughs> to spell as that. So we'll try and find something that's a little easier to spell. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a word of prayer, and we're going to jump right into our Bible study. Do you want to pray for us today, Tash? Yeah, let's pray. Um Father God, we just come before you now. We want to thank you for um, this new day, and we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word again. And we just pray that your spirit may lead and guide us, and um, especially with those who are listening as well, to open all of our hearts and minds for your spirit and for the word. Um, may you be with us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing our journey through John today, and we are starting in John chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, just before we get into that, a quick, a quick reminder, reminder that because it's going to come in. Ah, you know what? I'm not going to do a reminder. We're going to start right now, and I'm going to tell you the reminder after we read it. Go. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're in chapter four. John, the fourth book of the New Testament. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. All right. So already there are some interesting things happening in this chapter. So what's, what's coming on in the story here? What's happening? So Jesus and and his disciples are now traveling. Um, they were baptizing. Um, uh, disciples were baptizing. Sorry, and they were traveling from Judea, and they went to Galilee, and then they had to pass through Samaria. All right. Now, there's a couple of very, very fascinating things in that in that little story. So first of all, I don't know how many of us have perhaps thought this before. I don't know if you've ever thought this before, but it strikes me as interesting. You don't very often hear about Jesus's baptizing ministry. Mm. And you don't often hear about the fact that the disciples were baptizing people as a part of Jesus's ministry long before he gave what's often referred to as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things which I have commanded you. It's not just at the end of Jesus' time on earth, before he ascends, when he gives that call, that they start doing this. They were actually doing this, this method of baptism, right? Fully immersing people in the water, baptism of repentance, prior to... 
the resurrection of Jesus, right? They were doing that all through Jesus's ministry, apparently, it seems here. Mm. And that's just really interesting to think about. A second thing that I think is really worth noting is that it wasn't actually Jesus baptizing, but specifically his followers, right? Now, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One is it, it strikes me as interesting that water baptism was performed by God's followers, but remember that John the Baptist, who had been baptizing before Jesus' ministry began, was was also saying that Jesus would be the one who would not just baptize with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And notice that here, Jesus didn't do any of the water baptisms. And it's interesting, right? Because why 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 might that be a good idea for Jesus not to do baptisms? Any thoughts? You can say no if you don't have any thoughts on that. No, and, uh, okay, well, that's yeah. all right. You, know, you just looked at me funny with a funny look. <laughs> um, I think it's really significant. If Jesus had been doing all of this baptizing with water and had only baptized some people, some people might have gotten into their heads, we're special and set apart because of the virtue of Jesus baptizing us instead of someone else. But notice, it has nothing to do Mm. with which disciple it was. This comes up later in Paul's ministry as well. It's not about being baptized in water by Jesus. Baptism can be by any of the followers of Jesus that you see in the story. Anyone who's following Jesus here is called that. His apostles, his disciples, they're called to do that. But it's being baptized. It's, it's Jesus is giving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's the thing that counts most. Mm. And it's only Jesus who gives it. Think about this. The disciples, even during the early church in the book of Acts, even when they're baptizing people, what do they do to receive the Holy Spirit? They pray. They lay hands on them yep. and pray. And the Holy Spirit is never given by an apostle. It's given at request of an apostle, perhaps. But it's always given by Jesus who says, I will send you the comforter. Isn't that powerful? That is powerful. I only realized that as, we were, as I was studying for this this week and just reading through. And I think that's a really powerful point. Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. But all of his disciples were called to be participating in that commission and doing that training of people, baptizing of people, calling of people. I think that's powerful. Now, it said also, before we keep reading, sorry, because we, I talk a lot. I've got to talk less and read more. <laughs> but um, one other thing that I think is really fascinating in this chapter that we've just read so far is that it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're not going to answer this question yet, but we're just going to ask the question, why? Yeah. Why did he have to go through Samaria if, in fact, most Jews walked all the way around it? Mm. If the most common path was to go elsewhere, why did he have to go? And I think that's significant. And also, remember that if he went there at the sixth hour, that means it was 12 o'clock noon. And that means that whatever's happening in this story is not happening by night, like it did with Nicodemus, yeah. in darkness. Yeah. But that what's happening here is happening in the middle of the brightest part noon, of the yeah. day. High noon, right? Mm. I love it. Mm. So whatever's going on here is happening in the light. And that, again, is a theme that we see throughout the book of John, light and dark. All right, let's continue reading from verse 7. A woman from Samaria. Oh, I'll just go back. Oh, go for it. You, I think we... No, we did read it. We, no, we're on verse 7. We did read verse 7. <laughs> I know you're going to answer the question later, but we'll, I'll just keep reading. All right. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God... 
And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. All right, let's pause there. All right, what's happening here? We're going to probably have to go to a song here in a moment before we continue this, but let's get started. What What's going on? We meet the Samaritan woman, and she's at the well, and Jesus and his disciples are there, but his disciples have gone to get some food, and Jesus is weary. He wants a drink and asks this woman for a drink. Now, it's really interesting to note that John here is saying things that all of the Jews know, right? There's You don't have to tell a Jewish person in the first century, Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans. Now, this is interesting because it highlights that John was not just writing to a Jewish audience. He was writing to a broader audience than that. And um, that's an interesting fact to note when John's writing this. We're going to go to a song here, and this is Sonia Isaac's I Know Where There Is Water.
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio. That was Sonia Isaacs, I Know Where There's Water. And uh, before we get back into our Bible study on John chapter 4, just another shameless plug that you can send in your questions about God, spirituality, the Bible, Jesus, you name it, practical Christianity. We would love to hear from you on that. And also, we're going to give you the code word shortly. And uh, when you hear that code word, the first, the third, and the fifth callers are going to receive a free copy of this book. Your future is safe with God, and it's a help in daily living. And especially the what we're going through right now, it's um, it is a way in which we can help us deal with the, the different things each day, and not only that, how we can refocus our, our eyes on Jesus. And so, yeah. Awesome. So you can, when you hear that code word, or if you've got questions that you want to call in with, you can call or text 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Awesome. Okay, so Jesus is here. He's at the well. Now, John makes a comment that, that Jews and Samaritans don't have any dealings. So why is that? What's, what's some of the, do, you, do you have some of the background history for us, Tash? Um, so the, the well, I, I did a little research about the well. So the well was given to Jacob and his family, and then they spent quite a bit of time there. Mm. But then later on, um, later on they left, and then some things happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know anything about that, but that sounds good. Maybe, maybe no, because they didn't be stay. Yeah, yeah, they didn't stay there. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Now it's really interesting to note a little bit more of the history that goes beyond that time period that that we can add to that as well is that when. When the nation of Israel came out of slavery, when the Hebrews came out of slavery and they came to the land of Canaan, they occupied the land of Canaan. Later on, they, they, they had judges, they had prophets, and then after the prophet Samuel, they had their first king, which was King Saul, and then it goes on a couple of kings later. But after David's son Solomon, the kingdom was split into two sections. You have the northern tribes of Israel, which were the ten tribes, and the southern tribes of Judah, which were Judah and Benjamin. And during that split, you have this this big difference between those two regions. And they both had their problems, but um, there were like eight good kings out of 20 in the southern portion, and there were zero good kings out of 20 or 21 in the northern kingdom. And anyway, they ended up both going off into exile. But the northern tribes, the northern kingdom, went off into exile by the Assyrians. And so the history of the Samaritans is kind of tied up with Israel being apostate or wandering away from, from faithfulness to God and being depopulated and coming back in. So there's there's a lot of history there. So there was racial tension here between what I guess the descendants of what had originally been these northern and southern regions of Israel. Is that yeah. awesome? So there was a lot of racial tension. And by the way, in the, the context here, it was you wouldn't eat with a Samaritan if you were a Jew. You considered them to be unclean like you did all of the Gentiles or non-Jewish people. So there were big racial prejudice divides in this space. And so it would have been very uncomfortable for the disciples to be in this place. They they would have felt that they were in danger. They would have felt that they were being uh, made unclean. That they were they were being made impure in some sense. And so there was Jesus is. It's very interesting. It says Jesus had to go there because really he had to go there because he chose to go there. And I love the way that John states it. He doesn't say Jesus chose. He says Jesus had to go there. 
he had decided in his mind for whatever purpose, and we're going to discover a bit more about that as we read, that this was necessary, and that's pretty awesome. And I love, I love, just before we keep reading, I love that her response is, look, look, bro, like, homie, I, I got a bucket. This is a big well. It's deep, and uh, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get water? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What's this living water? Yeah. Are you, what are you talking about? Are you out of your mind? And I love this response. And so we're going to continue in verse 13 and how Jesus responds to the woman. So Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Awesome. So this conversation is super, super powerful. And this chapter is actually really long, so I'm hoping that we're going to manage to get through it. But there are some gems that are not worth skipping over. Like, wow. So Jesus says to her, everybody who drinks from this well drinks this physical, literal water. You're going to be thirsty. It's not going to satisfy your needs. He says, but if you knew who who it was that was talking to you, in other words, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for water, and I would have given you not just water, but living water, a spring of water inside of you that will grow up and flow into eternal life. Mm. Now, this is huge. This is huge. And I want to put something forward here, but I don't want to jump too far ahead. But, But there's some things. Have you ever seen a spring, by the way? Uh-huh. Springs are pretty amazing. Hey, yeah. I was hiking in Tasmania once, and I found this spring, and it was the highlight of my my trip to Tasmania. I just kept going back to this spring on this hiking trip because I wanted to just sit there and look at it. Yeah. It was so amazing. It was this. It was like a thirty centimeter deep little conical hole in the ground, and there was water just blub- bubbling out of it and flowing over. And there's a couple of things that are interesting to note. When Jesus says this, and we're going to come back into this in a few chapters in John chapter 7 where he makes another reference, identifying that this is in reference to the Holy Spirit. And it's powerful that, he's, that, that springs of water, they produce water. They don't have to go and get it from somewhere else. It comes from within, right? It produces it. Secondly, it comes from underground, a place that you cannot see. So you have no, you have no idea where it's coming from, so to speak, right? You don't know... Is there a, a, a channel underneath? Is there an underground river, a subterranean river or something? You don't know exactly where it's coming from, but you can see the results. And lastly, it doesn't just fill up and that's enough. A spring fills to the point where it overflows and is not just a blessing to itself, but it's a blessing to others. And it's really powerful that this is the language that he's using when he's talking about the Holy Spirit and talking about how this is going to lead to eternal life, this living water. I love this. But not only that, as we read through a little bit more, we're going to see how this connects in to some of the biggest problems in this woman's life. Mm. So let's continue reading. Okay. Unless you had something like you're dying to say. Uh, Just say it. Just say it. Okay. You don't have to ask permission. As well with the living water and what you just explained with seeing that spring, well water is deep, deep down in the earth. So... It's not always it's not fresh as well. So when I just want to compare that to what you were saying with the with with that spring that keeps bubbling over, that keeps giving. Not only does it keep giving life, the it's in contrast to what she's trying to to quench her life with. With this It's the opposite. It's the opposite. It's Ooh. like this dank, like well water that 
you know, has been sitting down there for who knows how long, mm. and it's not fresh. It's not. Um, it doesn't. It's not probably it's stagnant. It's stagnant to some extent. It might be palatable, but it's it's probably yeah, to some extent. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. that's going to tie in so good. All right, let's keep reading. So Jesus said to her, "Go, call your husband and come here." The woman answered him, "I have no husband." Jesus said to her, "You are right in saying." I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe oh, let's me. Pause. Let's pause oh, there yeah. for a moment. Oh, man, there's so much going on here. I, this... Jesus is, let's Jesus. be honest, Jesus <laughs> yeah. does not follow typical cultural, uh, customary politeness. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we, we kind of think that Jesus is only ever super tender and gentle and mild, and he is that a lot of the time, but there are times where he kind of is like a surgeon and mm. or a doctor who's trying to assess you, and he's like, Cut straight, he's like, yeah. he's like does, it, does it hurt here? No. Does it hurt here? No. Does it hurt here? Yes! Yes, you hit the wound! And I want to highlight something that's super profound here. Jesus is saying something to her that's incredibly profound. You are thirsty. And where you are going to find the water to quench that thirst will never, ever, ever satisfy. And what is this woman's issue? Where is she going to find the satisfaction of the deepest longing of her soul, of the, of the things that she needs answered? She's not finding it. She's not looking for it in God, but she's searching for it in human relationships, in romantic relationships. And so she has one husband, no luck. Second husband, no luck. Third husband, fourth husband, fifth husband. Now it's someone else's husband by implication. But none of these wells will ever satisfy.
So my children, if the things this world gave you Leave hungers that won't pass away My blessed Lord will come and save you You're listening to Real Faith with Ravi and Tesh, and this is Faith FM. And that song that we just heard was... Malvinus singing Like the Woman at the Well. Awesome. So, before we get back into our Bible study, because there is so much to talk about on this section, and I'm like, man, how are we ever going to get through chapter 4 today? But we want to jump right back in. So, without any further ado, we're going to say a code word at some point during the rest of this Bible study. And when you hear that code word, the first, the third, and the fifth callers are going to receive a free copy of this book. Your future is safe with God. Helps in daily living, especially in this time. And there's some prophecy in there and it helps you understand how um, all of the things that are happening now are being fulfilled and it's the last days. But it's going to help you know that your future is safe with God. Awesome. So if you'd like to call in with your thoughts, your questions, which we love to hear for Question of the Week, or when you hear the code word, you can call or text 0491-064-669. That number again is? 0491-064-669. Awesome. Okay, so we dropped off on kind of a bit of a bombshell there. Yeah. What's this woman's particular problem? Like, what's her issue? Where's she going to satisfy her desires, you know, all of the brokenness in life, to try and quench that thirst, to find fulfillment, to find meaning, to find significance? Where's she looking? Jesus says husbands, but she's looking for it in men. She's looking for it in men, in human yeah. romantic relationships. Now, mm-hmm. I want to highlight something. There are a lot of people who are doing that today. Yeah. But that's not the only issue. This is her issue, right? And I'm sure that there were real problems in those relationships, but we all carry baggage. And here's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. No matter where you look to try and fill that void, 
If you're looking for it anywhere but in Jesus, you will be left thirsty and looking for more. It doesn't matter where you go to try and fill it, whether it be relationships, whether it be sex, whether it be substances to numb the pain, whether it be success, whether it be work, whether it be you know family goals or holidays, whether it be finances, whatever it is, even things that might not be in and of themselves bad things, when we try to fill the hole that only God can fill with those things, it will never, ever satisfy and this woman is on the cycle of addiction. She's on this cycle. You go through, you have this bad experience, and then you walk through life and you try and fill that hole, those emotional wounds from your past, from your parents, from some primary caregiver, from some experience that has told you that you are less than or not worthy or, or not valuable. And then we try and fill it by, by numbing the pain. We find some addictive agent, whether it be success, workaholism, you know, you name it, seeking pleasure, whatever. And then that leads us into this spiral where we try and fill it with some addictive agent that has negative consequences, that leads to shame, that leads to self-hatred, and we go on this big roundy-go-round. It's but a vicious Jesus, cycle, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And I've been on that cycle many mm-hmm. times in my life for different reasons and in different ways. And the truth is, if we're all honest with ourselves, mm-hmm. most of us have probably been on that cycle or are on it right now. Mm-hmm. But notice what Jesus is saying. Jesus is cutting through her nonsense, right? She's, what does she do? She throws up, she projects. Oh, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So what does she do? Here's a common theologically, political, ex- politically explosive, controversial topic. Let me throw you off the scent because guess what, Jesus? You just poked my wound. You just, you just put the scalpel right there on the wound and you've identified that, yeah, I've been searching for, for the satisfaction of my life to try and answer life's tough questions, to fill my pain and the numbness and the void in my life and to fill it with all of these things. But guess what? None of them satisfied. And we all go around and I've been chasing and chasing and chasing. And when that one didn't work, I went to another and another and another. And by, by implication here, it sounds like the sixth guy that she's with isn't even her husband. It's someone else's. Mm. Why in the world is this woman coming to get water in the middle of the day? It's 12 o'clock in the afternoon. It's hot. It's in the middle of the Palestinian desert, and you got to walk with a water pot on your head to go get well water and take it back to town. Why are you alone? The women would go in the early morning and in the early evening when it was cool, and they would go together so that they would be safe in numbers And yet, here's this woman who doesn't want to be with the other women. Why? Perhaps it's because of the issue that she's trying to solve her life's problems with. Maybe she's hated by the other women because, guess what? You're with someone else's husband. Is mine next? You can see how these problems are multiplying. She's not wanted. She's not loved. She's allowing herself to go down this path to try and fill that void. But none of these things can satisfy. Mm -hmm. But here stands the Savior of the world, and he says, I've got something else for you. And notice this. Jesus is like cutting through all of the nonsense, getting to the quick, to the point, because he had to go there. Why? Because he needed to speak to this woman so she could have a change in her life and have liver, sorry, rivers of living water flowing in her life through accepting the Holy Spirit, man. So check this out. He goes on and he answers, but what does he say? Watch this. And we're going to continue in John chapter 4, and we're in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now and is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Boom. Oh, my goodness gracious me. There's the sermon right there. Boom. What does, she, what does it say? She left her water pot. Oh, man. There is so much to talk about in this section. But I'm going to hand it over to you. Any, anything that you want to just that's jumping out to you, Tash, in there that's worth? Oh, there's, there's two or three things, actually. Okay. First thing is Jesus is saying to her, because for so long the Samaritans had thought that this mountain was where they came to worship. But Jesus was saying, no, it was always Jerusalem, but there's coming a time when it's not even going to be Jerusalem anymore. We worship in spirit and in truth. So he's saying it's not about a place. It's not about a temple. It's not about a church. It's going to be about me. And so that's my, oh, which is huge, right? It's huge. It's huge. It's absolutely huge. Especially for the culture because Jews would travel all the way to Jerusalem just for the temple. And they were instructed to. They were instructed to, yeah. But the point that's being made here is so powerful. Watch this. I love this passage, man. I was reading this this morning and it just, just check this out. You worship what you do not know, right? Because they had, they, she had come from this history that had apostatized the true worship of the God of Israel. And they'd mixed in all sorts of idolatry and pagan practices into it. He says, you worship what you don't know. He says this, we worship what we know. And then he says this powerful point. He says, for salvation is from the Jews. Mm. Not salvation is for the Jews. Not salvation is to the Jews. He says salvation is from the Jews. What's the point there? All of those ceremonial systems of sacrifice, all of those feasts, they were pointing towards Christ's ministry that would come. The whole system of sacrificial worship was not developed in order to be the salvation, but it was all symbols pointing forward to the one who would come and be salvation. Salvation is from the Jews because salvation is in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And all of those who believed in the system and trusted God and, and followed that pattern and that path, they were doing so in faith of what God would do in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they're saved in faith looking forward to what Messiah would do. They're not saved by the things themselves, right? You know, what the Scripture says, Paul says in Hebrews, no one is saved by the blood of bulls and goats. No one. Not a single person. So if you get in your mind, oh, no, in the Old Testament, they were saved by works. In the New Testament, saved by grace. Bum, bum, false. Everyone was saved by grace who has ever been saved or ever will be saved. And it is in faith that they understand and receive that grace following what God has called them to do. This is so powerful. And so he says, God is looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. Not just in spirit, right? Not just with the right attitude and with the right emotions. Not just in truth, 
right? Because Jerusalem is the true place at this time where this is going to happen. But he's talking about those two things must kiss. They must meet. It must be the attitudes, the emotions. It also must be in truth and reality. He's talking about worship that's going to encompass your life, the way that you live, the way that you respond, the way that you believe, all of those things. And those things are essential and vital. And he says the most powerful things. She's like, oh, who's who's going to say that? We, like, we know that when Messiah comes, when Messiah comes, he's going to tell us all things. And she's kind of like fobbing him off. And what does he say? He says, I tell you, the one who is speaking to you, I am. Mm. And what you might, might miss there is that in the Greek, it is literally the emphatic statement. Not I am he. It says in the Greek, I am. Am, which is the very name that God introduces himself as to Moses in Exodus 3.14. Jesus is making a divine claim in this passage. He's saying, God is here in the flesh right now. I am Messiah. This is Cademan's Call, Mystery of Mercy. I am the woman at the well. I am hearted. I am the scattered seed that fell along the path. I am the sun that ran away And I am the bitter sun that stayed My God, my God Why hast thou accepted me When all my love was vinegar To a thirsty king My God, my God Why hast thou accepted me it's a mystery of mercy and a song, a song I sing. I am the angry man who came to stone the lover. I am the woman there ashamed before the crowd. I am the leper that gave thanks. I am the night that never came. It's a mystery of mercy and song, the song I sing. You made the seed that made the tree, that made the cross that saved me. You gave me hope when there was none. You gave me only your son.
You are listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio, and uh, it's the last portion of our Bible study time now. And uh, before we get back into it, I wanted to just do another shameless plug. I love shameless plugs. I always call them that because I think uh, there's no shame in them. And that is for our question of the week. Now, there is still time. If you call in before you get to the news or text in with your questions, we'll have time to get to answer those today on our question of the week portion. So I'm encouraging you. I'm challenging. I don't know if we've had any questions come in just yet. So please send us a question because we would love to engage Mm, with you on what your questions are about scripture. Throw us the big, the hairy, the ugly, the, the easy, the practical, the impractical. Throw us a question. We'd love to have a chance to, to try and answer that from scripture with you. And uh, also we're going to hear the code word at some point during this segment of the Bible study because I forgot about it last time. So we're doing it somewhere in here. (laughs) Ha ha. And when you hear that code word, you're going to get a an opportunity. The first and the third and the fifth caller today are all going to receive a free copy of this book. Your future is safe with God. So it helps for your daily living by Ellen G. White. I love it. It's going to be a helpful thing to deal with the times that we're living in, drawing us to Scripture. So if you would like to do that, when you hear the code word, call or text. 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Awesome. Okay, so I, I don't know if you caught that, but that what just what we were just talking about is incredibly powerful. It's in the book of John. We were just talking about this in the book of John. It happens seven times where Jesus says this statement that in the Greek is specifically, literally, emphatically, just "I am," mm-hmm. which is the divine title that God reveals Himself by in the Old Testament, Yahweh. Right? He says, "I am," and guess how many times it happens in the Old Testament precisely seven times. So it mirrors this. And then in John's gospel, not only does he say it emphatically seven times, but then it's repeated twice in the text after he says it the final time. And then in the Old Testament, there's two variations of that same statement in the Hebrew. So no matter which way you look at it, which way you spin it, it's exactly the same in the Old Testament as in the book of John. And John is making an an incredibly potent point. Jesus is Yahweh. And you know what, Robbie? It just shows the continuity of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Boom. It, you know, people say the Old Testament is, is is not useful or it's not, but no, it just shows us time and time again that Jesus is from all the way through. That's right. God is all the way through. That's right. Yeah. You see Jesus from start to finish, Genesis to Revelation, every book. Jesus is the point. Yeah. Jesus says in John 5.39, which we're going to get to. No, nah, we're going to get to that later, so we're not going to talk. We're not going to spoil that. Jesus says something about all of the scriptures having something to do with him. We're going to talk about that next, hopefully next week. All right, so let's continue reading. Um, I had one more point. Oh, go for it. I just, okay, so the we're given extra details by John, and they call it the narrator's voice. And he's the disciples come back and the Samaritan woman's gone and she's going, she's left her jar and she's gone to tell more people about Jesus. But the disciples come and the narrator's voice tells us, Oh, why didn't he, why didn't they say, Oh, um, so, Oh, hang on. Where, where nobody is asked him. Why are yeah, you talking nobody to this asked woman? him, Why are you talking to this woman? And, uh, I think sometimes we see something and we don't know what's going on. But then we make up a story of what's going on. And the disciples did a dis- I think they did a disservice to Jesus by not asking him. Because, because sometimes correlation doesn't actually mean causation. Like they there's a there's single Jesus and a woman at the well. What are they doing? 
Why are like, they talking? Why are they talking? Yeah. And like, they've been hanging with Jesus for a while. Why, why didn't they say something? It's interesting. Yeah. But eventually, of course, Jesus explained it because they were able to write it down even though no one was there. That's true. They did write it down later. So eventually but- they found out. Or at least John did. <laughs> but yeah. But I, I'm just, it's good to ask for clarity. And that's I think it's, point. yeah. That's just just point. be clear and ask the question that you, that's niggling on your mind. That's right. Yeah. I love it. Questions are good. Um, just one other quick thing. When she realizes, when Jesus says who he is, and she puts the dots together and she figures out, yeah, the Messiah I've been waiting for is Jesus Christ, and here he is. Notice what she does, and it's super symbolic. She left her water jar. She went away into town, and she said to the people, come see this guy who told me everything I ever did. Could this possibly be the Messiah? What does she do? When she realizes that Messiah has come and is speaking to her and is promising to give her rivers of living water, she stops and she drops the very tool that she was using to get water, and there's great symbolic profundity to this this is a mark when we're following jesus when we realize only jesus can satisfy the tools that we needed to go and try and fill our thirst from all the broken cisterns of the world from all of those things that we talked about before to try and fill the void that can never satisfy we drop the water jar because we have the one who can fill the void finally because it's only in Jesus. So we don't need to go fill our cup of value and significance up by what you think and what you think and what you think or by how successful I am or how powerful I am or how we don't have to go play that game anymore. We don't even need the water jar. And she leaves. Awesome. And while the people are coming, Jesus has a very interesting conversation with his disciples. So let's read on from John chapter 4, verse 31. So meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I had food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Oh man, there is some really practical, profound ministry advice there. So if you're a a person who considers themselves a follower of Jesus, you got to realize that it's not just about people who are paid to be in ministry or people who do it as their full-time job or blah, blah, blah. None of that stuff really ultimately matters. What really matters is that all of us who are followers of Jesus are participating in that mission because it wasn't a call to just some people. You know, Peter says that we all who choose to follow Jesus are a royal priesthood. That means everyone's got responsibility and everyone's got the privilege of participating in that mission. And so Jesus gives some really practical advice here to everybody who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. He says, look, man, you don't get it. The thing that I really need is not just physical food and water. The thing that I really need is to do God's will. And what's God's will? God's will involves leading others to salvation. And so he's like, hey, look, hey, look, man, you guys, you're all farming kind of people. You grow up in a farming society. You live rurally. You understand this. You know when harvest is coming. You look, you can see the signs. And he says, but I'm telling you right now, You don't understand. You're missing the point. The harvest, the real harvest, the harvest of humanity ready to receive salvation, it's ready for reaping. 
There are so many people who are ready to hear and accept the good news to repent and to turn from sin to Jesus and be saved. But you are missing the point. And then he says this powerful thing, right? He says, look, look, one sows and another reaps. And I sent you to go reap those things for which you didn't labor. And what's the point? What, what can we take from that? You're not the big shot. You're not the, the, the bee's knees. It's not about you. The reality is God's been working with people that you don't think God can even work with. They thought that none of the Samaritans could even be saved. And he's saying, no, no, these people are ready to be safe right now. Boom. They're ready to go. And you need to come in here and do the work of reaping them for harvest, right? Like giving them the opportunity to decide to surrender their lives to Jesus because they're ready to make a choice, even though you didn't know that because someone else was doing the work. You didn't do the work. And he's like, look, I just did some work here. Boom. I just sowed some seeds. Are you ready to pick up and do the other part? Are you ready to participate in my mission for these people that God's Holy Spirit's been at work upon all this time? And the point here is this. God is at work in every person's life all the time with every opportunity that he can. The Holy Spirit is at work. God sends people and uses people to help people along that journey towards him. People that you don't even think God could use, God will use them right? God is working through imperfect, fallen humanity all the time, and our part is to play the part that we can play when it comes before us. Allow God to use us as a vessel for the Holy Spirit to share Jesus with this person. You might be just sowing a seed, so to speak. You just had a conversation about God, or you just painted the picture that not every Christian's a terrible, heinous person, right? And those little things are adding up. You might be the person who says, do you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? Do you want to receive forgiveness of sins? You might be the person who baptizes them. You might be the person who fill in the blanks, but our part is to participate with God at whatever point in that person's journey is in front of us. Are we ready to respond to God's call to say, hey, you, you don't need to be proud. It's not about you. It's about participating in this journey of leading people to salvation at every stage you can. in liberty I thought your treasures would make me happy that were the very things that binded me goodbye old man you promised you had what would fill me there were the very things that robbed me leaving my heart completely empty goodbye old man goodbye old man I hope not to see you again I don't want to be your friend
to Faith FM, Positively Different Radio. Hey everyone, we're the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson, and you can join us every morning on The Breakfast Show. We cover news that matters and do our encounter with God. We also have an intense quiz, great giveaways, awe-inspiring music, and best of all, you can have your say and be a part of the Brecky family. We're live across Australia, so check your Faith FM program for your local airtime. You're listening to Real Faith, but it's not as real as it could be. Why, you ask? Because this isn't the live show. So as good as this is, the live show is where it's really at. Join us every Thursday from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. so you can be involved live.
You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and this is Faith FM. What's up next? Well, before we do anything else, yeah. I wanted to just say uh, that I totally forgot about the code word during the uh, Bible study. I forgot to remind you as well. And uh, so if you're listening and you were waiting for that code word, the word is well. Well? Well. Oh, well. Like the woman went to the... Well. Well, well, so if you heard that code word, the first, the third, and the fifth call are going to receive a free copy of that book, and you can do that by calling or texting 0491-064-669. That number again is 0491-064-669. Now, before we get any further, we're going to just read through. We're going to continue reading through John chapter 4, verse 39 through 42. So many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, but Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Awesome. So let's draw a couple of quick conclusions from that, and then we have something else to do. All right, so I think one thing that we can really take out of it, this is really powerful and I don't want to say too much about it because we'll have some time to do that again. But I want to notice that many Samaritans from that town, they believed because of her testimony, mm-hmm. right? And this is powerful. Personal testimony of what God has done in your life is powerful. But notice that they came and they listened to Jesus because of her testimony. But then it says that many more, once they heard Jesus, believed. So some didn't even believe because of her testimony. They were just curious, So sharing your stories of what God has done provides opportunity for people to get to know Jesus. And I love this. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, because we've now heard for ourselves. And not only do they believe, but it says we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And that's really what Messiah came to do, to save the world. Absolutely beautiful. Now, um, I'm just curious, Shell, what time is it? Awesome. Now, uh, we've gotten a question that came in. We, sorry, we uh, had a little bit of uh, some technical things going on here in the, uh, in the studio, but we're pleased that we've got a question. This question is coming from David Edgar of Ellenbrook, Perth. So calling all the way in from Western Australia. I have no idea what time it is over there, David, but um, well, yeah, I think we're like four hours different. But anyway, we're stoked that you're, you're listening. And um, the, the, the question is this. Robbie and Tash, according to Genesis 2, verse 7, it says that we are a living soul. And if that's the case, then why do some people teach that we have immortality or immortal souls that at death go to heaven or hell or to reincarnation? And that's a great question. So the man, there's there's a there's a bit that we could say in response to this. I think one of the clearest reasons that many people 
sorry, not not clearest reasons. That's not the right word. But one of the pre- predominant reasons that so many churches churches excuse me teach the immortality of the soul. And by the way, for those that aren't familiar with what that is, the belief. The immortality of the soul is the belief that we have souls within us that live on forever and ever that are in and of themselves immortal. Now, the biblical picture, when we don't have enough time to probably paint this in a huge, very specific way, but Scripture, as as was stated in Genesis 2, verse 7, says that God made Adam from the dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and it says, and man became a living soul, or some translations say a living being. But the word in the Hebrew for soul is nefesh. Now, nefesh speaks about the whole person, body, mind, spirit, right? Like it's not it's not talking about separate, distinct things, saying that you're a body that has a soul and that when you die, those are separated and therefore your soul lives on and your body dies. That's not what it's saying. And you can see this throughout Scripture. It talks about death as a sleep. It says in First Timothy chapter 6, that God alone has immortality, and therefore those who are choosing to receive eternal life are given immortal life, and that those who are wicked will not burn forever ceaselessly through the ages as immortal souls in, a, in some sort of prison, but that they will be destroyed and cease to exist. Like that's painfully clear through Scripture, so to speak. And not painfully, but it's really joyously fulfilled through Scripture and explained. But the question still remains that you're asking, David, and I want to get to that question, sorry, is that lots of people still teach and believe that even though the scriptural account is clear, and there's some great books. If you want to learn more about this, there's a book by Edward Fudge. I think it's called The Consuming Fire, and it goes in great exhaustive study into the question of the immortality of the soul and what happens at hell. Is it eternal in terms of duration or is it eternal in terms of significance? And um, that's a really helpful book. It's a little academic. But if you'd like to really read some deep study on that, highly recommend that book. So this begs the question then, why do so many people, if it's so clear from Scripture, still teach that the soul is immortal? And I'll, I'll put it to you this way, David. The most, uh, the most influential person that leads to this is the Greek philosopher Plato. Now, Plato taught that there was something that was called dualism. Right, and it's often referred to as Platonic dualism because it comes from Plato's teachings. Now, Platonic dualism says that everything is made up of two things in terms of a person. You've got a body and a physical part, and you've got a soul or a spiritual part, and the soul is the good part, and the body is the bad part. And so this whole idea in Plato is that you have this immortality that you have, which is kind of godlike, isn't it? Because God alone, Scripture says, is immortal. But this was a very common understanding and teaching among the Greeks and by extension those who followed in Greek thought. Now, how did this find its way into the Christian church? Well, it found its way in predominantly through a couple of key church fathers. One of those who is most dominant on the subject is Augustine. So, or St. Augustine, depending on, I never know how to pronounce it right. I'm American. So Americans say St. Augustine and Australians say St. Augustine. I don't know how to say it. But anyway, he was a big follower of Plato's teachings. And so when he has his conversion, he brought in a number of those views and then 
tried to find them in Scripture, probably not intentionally, but those views that he brought in, he started to find, kind of like lay in because it was his current cultural worldview that was so common among the pagan philosophers of his time. And so that found its way and trickled its way into many Christian churches, and it's actually taught not because the text supports it, but because for hundreds of years it's what's been taught from pulpits and from academic spaces. So, yeah, if you'd like to know more about that, I highly recommend that book by Edward Fudge. Um, I think it's called The Consuming, or A Fire That Consumes, I think is the title. But you can check that out. You'll find that. And I hope that's helpful to you, David. May God bless you, and uh, thank you for your question. This is Paul Kelly and Charlie Owen. Meet me in the middle of the air. I am your true shepherd I will lead you there Beside still waters Come and meet me In the middle of the air I will meet you In the middle of the air I will lay you down in pastures green and fair Every soul shall be restored I will meet them in the middle of the air Come and meet me in the middle of the air Through the lonesome valley my rod and staff you'll be Fear not, death's dark shadow Come and meet me in the middle of the air I will meet you in the middle of the air With oil I shall anoint you, a table shall I prepare Your cup will runneth over, I will meet you in the middle of the air Come and meet me In my house you'll dwell forever You shall not want for care Surely goodness and mercy will follow you Come and meet me in the middle of the air I will meet you Come and meet me You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash on Faith FM Radio, and it has come that portion of our show, ah, oh, the sad portion of our show where we've reached the end. <laughs> so by the way, I just wanted to do a real quick uh, plug again. If you did not get your chance to call in because you missed the code word, you can call or text the word WELL, WELL. That's the word to zero four nine one 
0491-064-669. That number again is 0491-064-669. And if you type in the word well and text that through or call in with that word, the first, the third, and the fifth caller are going to get a free copy of that book we were talking about which will give you some some insight in the world that we're living in, all of the craziness, the chaos that we see happening around the world. It's all been foretold in Scripture, and the signs of Jesus' coming are soon to be, and we're seeing many of those signs taking place in the world around us today. And this book will help to identify those places in Scripture, which will help you to see so that you can know and put your trust in Jesus and His Word and be ready for that time. So... Because he's the hope of the world. He's the one who gets you ready. All right, so what can we take? Real life application, because there's a lot. Now, by the way, we're not going to finish the chapter. We're going to do the end, the last little paragraph of the chapter, the final story where the second sign was next week as we go into that and into John 5. Um, So what can we practically take out of this? What are some applications from this that we've read, this passage excuse me, of Scripture? Have you got anything to throw at us, Tash? It's... Your code word? Well, the what was the woman filling her life with? With things that that wouldn't last, things that were just a temporary fix. Mm. And like you were saying before, it's not just addictions; it's anything in life which controls or is is a way of escaping what we're really dealing, what we're really dealing with. That because it's a God shaped hole in our lives. Mm. And so trying to fill it with work, trying to fill it with busyness, trying to fill it with online shopping, whatever it is, yeah. it just won't cut it because it's only temporary. Just like the water was only quenching her thirst, the men were only quenching her th- were quenching that need for, for a short amount of time. But Jesus quenches thirst for life. That's right. And it's a spring and it's, and it's in abundance and it just keeps giving. That's cool. And not just to you, but by extension, when you receive that eternal life, that you receive the filling of the void by the Holy Spirit, it prepares you and equips you and qualifies you mm. to be able to share that with others that they too may receive and believe in Jesus. I love it. There's so much power in that. So much. And, the other thing as well that I really loved was um, worshiping God is not a place. It's not. A, it's yeah. It's not a place. It's not. And don't get me wrong. Like I, I believe in the church, and I believe that the mission of God is being. But enacted, it's not about a building. But it's not about a building. That's right. And we've learned that through COVID. And um, God's people will worship not only in truth but in spirit as well. So. And vice versa, not only in spirit, but also in truth. truth. And I love that because both of those things are necessary. And because it says, Jesus says there, the Father, God is seeking for such worshipers, Mm. right? God is seeking for people who will be willing to worship him in spirit and in truth. He's not, he's not happy and contented to just say one or the other. He wants people who are going to follow him with both. That's what he's looking for. And we can all be those people if we do what this woman does, and I want to highlight something here that stuck out to me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3. But it is those who come into the light. Mm. Where was this woman? Broad daylight. All of her issues, her baggage exposed. All of it was out on the table. And she walks away knowing that she has salvation in Jesus. Where in the previous story, we don't know what Nicodemus did. Nicodemus, it doesn't even say when he walked away. But he doesn't. He disappears from the story for quite a while. He doesn't become a follower of Jesus right away. He doesn't become a disciple there. But 
the jury's still out. We're going to find out later in the book of John what happens to Nicodemus. But here, this woman who was not coming by secret night and darkness, she came and exposed the truth. She was the one who walked away filled with the joy of salvation. And I love this. She became a believer, and not only that, she automatically began to witness for Jesus the good news of God. Another thing that I really like is um, that that's that's talked about in this is the fact that personal testimony plays such an, a significant role yeah. in John's book. She's like the first, uh, you know, uh, missionary basically. Yeah, like she is, she's not commanded she's even to missionary. do it. She just yep. goes. She goes back to her hometown where she does not have a great reputation, where she is not loved and looked upon positively in the community. And by the way, we had a comment come in from Gary. Thanks, Gary, for your comment. This woman. Must have had. You, you don't go through and make decisions like this if you've had a perfect life and you've had everything that you needed, right? Like yeah. she would have had so much baggage and she would have had such a broken past. And much of that was probably not her own fault, like all of us. You know, there are things that we're responsible for and things that other people are responsible for. But the powerful part of this story is when she finds Jesus and she finds that hope, she begins to share about Jesus and what Jesus has done for her. And it's that that drew the people to hear Jesus's words. And when they heard Jesus's words, they believed. And I love this. Personal testimony is a vital part of introducing other people to Jesus. Your mm. story matters. Even if you're like, oh, I don't have a story. No, you do. You do. If yeah. you're a father of Jesus, you have a story. And that story will be a witness to people who you don't even understand you could be a witness to. But notice this. At some point, everybody needs to have their own experience with Jesus and his words, right? They didn't just say, oh, yeah, your story's good, and so we believe in Jesus, and we walk away, and that's that's all sweet. No, no, no. That brought them to Jesus, and now they say, we believe now because we've, we've heard from him ourselves, and we know he is the Savior of the world. I love that. You know, belief comes in stages at times, right? Yeah, like, like drips in a bucket. That's right. Yeah, and it takes different people to... to to get it there. It doesn't just, it's not one person's job. That's right. Yeah. And that's exactly what he told to the disciples, yeah. right? Like, do your part. Don't be proud. It's not about you. You didn't save any souls. It was Jesus who saved these precious human souls, man. Mm -hmm. These people, these lives that have come to God. It's Jesus who's doing that. It's the Holy Spirit at work. So don't be proud, but participate. Mm. And be grateful to God that you can be any one of those drops in the bucket that's helping to lead them to find ultimate salvation in Jesus Christ. I love that. Well, my friends, it's been great to have you along the ride with us today. We're going to jump into John chapter 4, the end of it next week, and into John chapter 5. May you be blessed today, and may you put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. And remember, my friends, that real faith is, is live faith. faith.